Welcome to Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. I'm so glad you joined me today. I've been reading back through the book of Acts. Once in a while, I'll just do it. I just think it's important for me to look at real men, real women, under the work of the Holy Spirit, and I just reread the book of Acts. So I was reading it recently, and I don't know if you remember or not, but the first chapter of Acts is really interesting because it gives a great illustration of how the disciples got bored and moved out on their own without waiting on Jesus. If you look at Acts 1, starting with verse 21, and I quote, Judas must now be replaced. They're saying this among themselves. The replacement must come from the company of men who stayed together with us from the time Jesus was baptized by John up to the day of his ascension, designated along with us as a witness to his resurrection. End quote. So we're looking at about 120 people, and out of that band of Jesus' followers, they select two. The Bible says, quote, They nominated Joseph Barsabbas, nicknamed Eustace, and Matthias. And then they prayed, You, O God, know every one of us inside and out. Make plain which of these two men you choose to take the place of the ministry and leadership that Judas threw away in order to go his own way. Then the Bible says they drew straws. Matthias won and was counted in with the eleven apostles. For me, this story illustrates perfectly how men think. Jesus told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them what to do, and yet they wanted to use their time more wisely. Well, you know that never works out very well, right? Why can't people just sit and wait? Apparently, they got bored and decided to replace Judas Iscariot, who had committed suicide after betraying Christ. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus told them to select a replacement. I think that if Jesus had said that to them, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, would have told us that, right? And it's important to remember that the Holy Spirit had not yet come. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, our helper, our counselor, our comforter, the one who convicts us of sin, the one who reveals things to us as mere mortals. Well, he hadn't been given to them yet. So here we see in this story a perfect illustration of how choices can affect our lives. And sometimes people, mm-hmm, human beings, make choices, bad choices, choices that leave us with difficult consequences. It happens. And no matter what John Piper says, it ain't God's will. Anytime that we disobey God, it's not God's will. I personally believe God had already planned to replace Judas with Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes Paul. So it's a little like, at least to me, these men were deciding to do something God hadn't instructed them to do. Because like I said, nowhere in scripture does it say that Jesus told them to go select a replacement for Judas. Hmm... When I read the story of Eustace and Matthias, I wonder, what must it have been like to not have been chosen? Was Eustace sad? It must have been kind of awkward. Did Eustace experience some kind of rejection? I mean, think about it. It wasn't just his peers not choosing him, but they did that drawing the straws thing to reveal God's will. So, to their mind, God rejected Eustace and picked Matthias. So in a way, it must have felt like a double rejection. I think that would be uncomfortable. 
And we never hear of Eustace again, nor Matthias for that matter. Neither of these two men are ever mentioned again in the writings and detailed accounts of the apostles' lives found in the New Testament. I wonder if Eustace felt in second place. And, as in mo most cases, no one ever remembers second place. I mean, let's be honest. There's just no real rejoicing about second place. We don't hear people say, I'm number two. I'm number two. I mean, nobody chants that. That's no cheer. I personally have been number two all my life. I am a second daughter to a firstborn genius. My sister is beautiful. She can do anything. She's creative. She's talented. She's dependable. She's smart. She's funny. And she's in charge of all of us. I'm also a number two wife. I'm also a co-author whose name appears in second place on the cover of the book. So people can look at the book, see Mike Romanowski's name, and then think, well, that other lady probably just, you know, helped him out a little bit. <laughs> Are there second place people in God's kingdom? Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship. The original Greek there says, His poema, his poem, or masterpiece. That doesn't sound like second place to me. And I have to think that God's view of us, our, you know, Heavenly Father, the Creator, He calls us His poems. None of us are second rate or second place in His heart. I remember when I lived in Vilnius, we had these bins around town. One was bright white, one was bright blue, and the other was bright yellow. And these recycling bins are where we were to put our trash. So we sorted through the trash and we put each piece of trash where it needed to go according to that bin. Then the recycling geniuses took the trash out, our cast-offs, and they made something useful out of them. Well, I think in some ways God works like that. We bring our second place lives, our mistakes, our birth defects, all of our foolishness, our sins, and we lay those things at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm so flawed and broken, but here I am, beautiful Jesus. Here I am, and if you can do anything with this second place life of mine, I'm willing. I give myself to you. And Jesus, full of mercy and grace and power and love, takes these second place lives of ours and he uses them for his glory. He uses the weak things of this world to show himself mighty. He uses the foolish things of this world to confuse the wise. He uses the broken things of this world to shine forth his light and love. Because that's what God does. And he never looks at you and me as number two. Because in Christ Jesus, he's made all of us, each one of us, first in his kingdom. Let me close with this true story about the most unfamous, unknown Lithuanian that ever lived. It's a story from Corrie Tim Boom, and she tells it this way. We arrived at her apartment by night in order to escape detection. We were in the USSR in the region of Vilnius, Lithuania on the Baltic Sea. Ellen and I climbed the steep stairs coming through a small back door into the one-room apartment. It was jammed with furniture, evidence that the old couple had once lived in a much larger and much finer home. The old woman was lying on a small sofa propped up by pillows. Her body was bent and twisted almost beyond recognition by the dreaded disease of multiple sclerosis. Her aged husband spent all his time caring for her and she was unable to move off the sofa. I walked across the room and kissed her wrinkled cheek. 
She tried to look up, but the muscles in her neck were atrophied, so she could only roll her eyes a bit upward and smile. She raised her right hand slowly in jerks. It was the only part of her body she could control, and with her gnarled and deformed knuckles, she caressed my face. I reached over and I kissed the index finger of that hand, for it is with this one finger that she had so long glorified God. Beside her couch was a vintage typewriter, and each morning her faithful husband would rise, praising the Lord. After caring for his wife's needs and feeding her a simple breakfast, he would prop her into a sitting position on the couch, placing pillows all around her so that she wouldn't topple over. Then he would move that ancient black typewriter in front of her on a small table. From an old cupboard, he would remove a stack of cheap yellow paper. Then, with that blessed one finger, she would begin to type. All day and far into the night, she would type. She translated Christian books into Russian, Latvian, and her own native tongue, Lithuanian. Always using just that one finger. Peck, peck, peck. She typed out the pages of each of those books and portions of the Bible. She translated books written by Billy Graham, Watchman Nee, and yes, even Corey Ten Boom. All came from her typewriter, and that was why I was there to thank her. She was hungry to hear news about these men of God she had never met, yet whose books she had so carefully translated and faithfully typed out. We talked about Watchman Nee, who at that time was in prison in China, and I told her all I knew of his life in ministry. I also told her of the wonderful work of Billy Graham and the many people who were giving their hearts to Christ under his preaching. Not only does she translate their books, her husband said, as he hovered close by during our conversation, but she prays for these men every day while she types. Sometimes it takes a long time for her finger to hit the key or for her to get the paper into the machine, but all the time she's praying for those whose books she's working on. You see, the police leave us alone. They leave us all alone and never inspect here because when they see us, they don't see any threat. They just see an old man with a crippled wife. So we are hidden in Christ Jesus to do this work. Oh my, what a powerful story. I believe we should live our lives in reckless abandon to a redemptive God, yielding our gifts and our weaknesses, our strengths and our flaws, our talents and our imperfections, and yes, our second place lives to Jesus. And watch as he alone recreates in us something beautiful, useful, and never second place. I believe with all my heart that God is looking to and fro across the world, looking for men and women and children who will say, here I am, God. I'm not special. I'm not talented. I'm not exceptional in any way. But if there's anything that you can do in this life, if there's anything you want to do in me or through me, here I am, Lord. I yield myself to you. And I believe God, who is amazing and incredible, will do extraordinary things in yielded, ordinary lives. Well, that's it for today's podcast. This has been Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. Let me hear from you. Give me a thumbs up, thumbs down, leave a comment. I will put my email address in today's description 
And you can email me your prayer request. I would love to pray for you, especially in this time of quarantine. Oh, be blessed today. Rejoice in the Lord. And remember, truth matters.